Ja, utlo mikut. Pengai sungguh nama Yunip. Pengai Yuani utlo kita sahfikal tak cipu tu sana utlo resi. Wan tiga kristian sini mikat apa? Waro ningwa kai mai. Utlo mikut nasi. Semasa sungguh masih ingat dua ratus sabut. Ama Yuani ida cingok atau cingok ama asing ingat dua ratus sabut. Lepas itu semang kasihna utlo laksu ida ningan ni tama atau cakatus sangatnya. Lepas itu pisu nasi tekin umut kebiakaran sebut. Lepas itu Amma, aku tak tahu situ cakap kini aku kira rasa ni, hidup cing untuk kereta macam cing am sokong cing nak tak pesom ni, tapi saya rasa ni nasi kata. Tapi, hujan sih tak tahu cik kara usut long, tetapi mat terhubung dengan ni, sekitar tu sok ian hantar, wni utlu mikut, tetapi ini fikir serimat, dan cik sejak kara baga, tetapi kan nasus sultan nama, adu ngaji macam tetapi all the young dudes that we need to talk to. This is the one David Bowie and I need to talk to you. I'm going to talk to you. This is the one I need to talk to you. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to all the way from Memphis. Asal cintanya sahaja. Tapi hoki tangguh ni kapi semua takde. Amu dari bawah ini lebih kusyuk. Amu hoki tangguh ni kapi semua takde. Waktu awal sih usia tengok cakap pun. Mati hobi di kau tengok all the young dudes si. Soal ini sangat sekarang. Tapi mungkin waktu mai di zaman nora sok nerawa. Kasih nampak ini fikir ni juga apa tetapi mungkin kalau saya sorti tetapi tu sahaja ni ko waktu selfie asyik cuma kasihan ni. Untuk kapok roll out the stone, I will away the stone. Kasih ian hantar ini tu sahaja terjatuh. Yeah. Antara ya, am film sejak soal ni tu parah. So, tu soal yang good. Nitnu no artifisme. Penny Marshall lip. Ini tu soal yang fengisah big. Tom Hanks. Ini tu fengisah. Ok, macam mana? Nitnu no artifisme. Asal cinta. Kisah cerita. Soltar yang untuk kisah cerita dan tak kena mana. No, orang ini kisah fikir tak ini tak tak cimana tu lembat asal cuba kena mana. Nasi asal sweet, nukam ini asal sweet. Ah, soft alat ini kita kanak senang tadi so kisah cerita pada isai umur yang tak pada kisah tadi tu sah tunggu tak masih nangis sungguh nangis sungguh. Kisah cerita antis inok semua sungguh kosut ni. Yeah. Kali saya ingat asal tu ni orang fikir ni internet cikgu sih tak pasti sih nak ayat takit. Tapi rasa cikgu saya cikgu ni sih nak ayat nasi melayu sahaja kata nak tam sih ni barang nasi lah. Tapi asal tak pasti macam tu asyik dah ni internet macam ngaco jitu. Aku susah tak kalau ni nak nak ayat tak nak utam ni susu macam jitu. Ayok kan? Mungkin tu cuma hangsit film media. Men film ini tafsir saya dan anak tahu saya ni kalau tak mungkin sakum mami nitno nak tafsir saya. 
apa organisation a apa syukur ki sultan am syukur ki syukur syukur inun tunggu syukur takuri tu jangan kafing makpung elnin nak abiyap kembali tu jangan kafing syukur unu misisanti abiyap kembali malu papi sama roh ini rungu apa cok aso aji kute tebak kafing angun hello hi hello ayun kita si ab ah tali tu sepasi wah malu Aviaya tu ok yang pesan ni, first class ni deh. Nerungi rasa macam sih, tawa ini nerungwang ok yang, ada ok yang kini ulto. Ikan yang ini sendiri di sini rasa macam sih, tawa mampis sangat nak pak, kini aksiop. Aviaya ini di sini rasa naga, ok. Nerasa sih sih sangat asal begitu. Biar apa sih? Ab, yes. Tawa apa khusi ulto, uji. Aviaya. Kan macam aku kuat, tapi nak balas surat. Atas yang kau mak pergi, tak kau kaya orang asyik kau tak tu sakti kau mak. Abi ayah kau tak nak ini sakti kau tu nasi sihir kau kaya orang. Atas tu mak kau kaya orang itu kau tak sihir. Iya. Malu sihir sihir kau kaya orang. Abi ayah muda, kemit, angis susah, stol sokasin atau tak pay. Soalum, odet ka. ชีวิตเขาอดทนชีวิตเขาเงาะอินเดียดงัวอิสลามอ๋อทนชีวิตอินเดียดงัวอิสลามเฮ้ยอดทนชีวิตเฮ้ยอดทนชีวิตเฮ
Ashaxir, 
Mm-hmm. 
Nunan pakatsi fininga ni ako rin na kanyilak. 
عمل نقطوسو مسكت إنه نلتقي في لينغاني عمدان أقلوس غير نقطوسو وقام سلقتي يشدا أتعتمي سوتي السبق وأقرو قنون بسقط تطمك ملونة كرامل. نرى إذا تسون تس منكم ويسامل يا رب أتوج النام صوتو أتوج تاتلين السنين أن القصاير نقطة تسميكو قنون ولكنني <تصفيق> <تصفيق> نيكوسيو <تصفيق> ningani Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> ولكن <تصفيق> <تصفيق> لقد 
to have their voices heard. We heard it. We heard it. And we're going to stay back behind Illogafisusun <laughs> Mani Atlantic in 50s how it was since we are talking about now the protest against uh, racism and then uh, uh, that is happening around the world also like it's spreading around to the world where we would have heard um, uh, protests from New Zealand Brazil and Berlin and we want to go back in history in 50s where you were like 10 years old what you experienced in the States if we could start a little bit there in that age where you were you you could remember how the community was back then definitely i was born in 1947 so the 50s for me were my pre-teen years uh, but already there the process of uh, white privilege was endemic in the educational system uh, for a couple of reasons it's it has a long long history Uh, the white supremacy has reigned in the United States since its founding. I, I just learned last night in an interview, a blog uh, from the Wilmette, Inst uh, Wilmette Institute uh, from a very uh, knowledgeable professor that the history is in fact 336 years, to be exact, of oppression starting back from slavery. So this is not a simple uh, fad or short-lived phenomenon. This racial prejudice is endemic and built in to the American society, uh, primarily started by slavery. Mm. Um, so this, this goes way back, and it, it's only this year, in fact, 
for example, that lynching, which is hanging somebody from a tree, for example, was actually made a crime in the United States in February of this year. So it gives uh, maybe a little bit of perspective as to how deep this problem is on several levels, uh, both as a personal level, level as where I first experienced it, but also on the institutional level, I would say on a cultural level where the, the whole community is involved and at a spiritual level. So we have the individual who has a moral and ethical and intellectual responsibility to do something about this. They also have a spiritual responsibility in their relationship to the great being, God, however you want to to describe the creator of the universe, to respond, whether you're in private or in public, to this issue of racial uh, uh, prejudice. Hmm. So as a child, I experienced in schools white privilege. White privilege is that which whites accord to themselves. I'm talking about in the United States. I'm sure it exists in its insidious forms all over the world. But the idea that is, in, is introduced to children, white children, for example, is that they are superior. So there's an, an inherent, inherited sense of superiority in every white child. There's nobody that can, com, com, that can claim that they are without prejudice, racial prejudice. And this, it took many forms, but there, it's all very subtle. You're just taught that you have rights that other people don't. Therefore, you are better than other people. Other people don't have rights because they're not good enough. I mean, it, it's, it's sickening to think about that, that children are uh, proselytized, that they are poisoned at a very young age. I remember only early uh, from looking back that all of my classmates were white. Mm. It was a very lily white, as we say, uh, community. It was not until I got into high school when I was 15, 16 years old that I encountered the first person of color what Chinese. Was your, hmm? What was your reaction when you first saw African American? I have a, an unusual situation. Uh, my father was a contrabass player. He loved jazz. And all my idols were black people. I, well, not all, but 99%. They were jazz musicians. At that time, jazz musicians were the ones I listened to and idolized and looked up to hmm. were African American. Even at that time, Negro was the word that was used because African-American had not, as a politically correct term, mm. been even discovered. And I would, uh, I would have a very different response than anyone else because of my exposure just on pictures of album covers my visits to San Francisco to hear Miles Davis and his group and Charlie Mingus and uh, a, a, a host of black musicians. And in those nightclubs that I attended these concerts were 
98% African American mm. uh, guests. It was in, it was sort of a, a, a classy neighborhood in that sense, which was unusual. But many times the African American musicians had to enter by the back door. They weren't allowed to even come in the front door. This is in the 50s now and early 60s. Mm. Mm. It was, I remember my father telling me that, and he had a remarkable lack of racial prejudice uh, in his person. He, through his experiences in the U.S. Army during the Second World War, was closely, was close friends with people of color, if mm. we want to, shall we put it that way. He told me that, as I was young, that he and a an African-American girl had developed an acrobatic routine, a little show that they wanted to present to the school, and they were denied that possibility because she was black, because it was an interracial uh, interaction, and that was simply forbidden. Hmm. Uh, it could cost you your life at that time to be seen as being intimate, black, white, especially if it was a white woman, a black man. And we picked up all this stuff, not, not officially, but word of mouth through, through jokes, through anecdotal stories. Uh, you sensed what was going on rather than knowing what was going on. And what we sensed was racial prejudice. Hmm. How could you see, like, for example, if there's an um, interaction between a, a male and female, one, the other one is uh, African-American, how do the community react to that? Is it by word or by violence they, they separate them? There, there is a very... Americans are, are rather vocal. They don't mind telling you what they think, uh, mm. in public, even. Uh, the... if. There have been people that were executed, murdered, because they were seen as though they had um, approached, a, for example, a man, a, a young child, uh, approach a woman of the other, of a white woman, mm. that could could result in that person being forcibly taken away and killed. Mm. I mean, it's happened many times. Uh, one of the earliest examples was in, I think, 19, was it 34 or something like that? A young 14-year-old black kid was accused of having approached a white woman. And he was imprisoned and executed. He was the youngest person ever to be executed in the United States. I mean, this was serious business. You didn't take it lightly. When I, when I lived in Texas, my wife and I lived in Texas, we knew a couple, a black woman, a white man, young couple that were in love with each other. They didn't dare be seen together. They were only safe in a safe community, in the Baha'i community I was in. It's the only place they could be together. The earliest example of an interracial marriage, official interracial marriage, which was illegal in all states of the United States except Washington, D.C., was the marriage of Louis Gregory, a black man, 
to an English-born white woman, Louisa Matthews. That was in 1912. And they were not able to be together in the United States. They were together briefly in Canada and in England. Hmm. But they could not be seen together. They risked their life, although they were never physically accosted, uh, they had to be extremely careful. Hmm. And everyone knew that it was dangerous because you heard stories from Texas, from Georgia, from Alabama, Louisiana, Mississippi, of horrible events where black people were killed because they were thought to be, not necessarily any evidence, but thought to be approaching uh, members of the opposite race. Mm. Opposite, there's no such thing as opposite race, but mm. another race. Yeah. And that was that was true also with Chinese or Mexican-American mm. or black-white relationships. We will move on to... Um uh, like in the timeline to 60s and 70s, how the uh, the racism been um, sort of like um, escalated or been calmed down along the years. We will get back to that later on. Jim, Milne, um, we just had um, a, a little bit of a taste of American history, uh, racial prejudice and how it was back then, especially in the 50s. So, like along the way till sixties and seventies, did the racial prejudice escalate it or was sort of like being calmed down along the way? It did. Uh, it appeared as though there was progress, although it was temporary and unfortunately not tenable. Uh, the racial prejudice is so deeply ingrained in the society that it will take extreme effort and a long time to even. I don't know if it can be eliminated because this, this, this acidic prejudice lasts for generations. It's passed down without word. Uh, it affects everybody, and it affects institutions, which are the hardest to change. In the the '60s came the hippie movement, which made it popular to be different amongst the youth, to dress differently to act differently, to oppose the systemic uh, ingra ingrained traditions that seemed to hold everyone down and did. Uh, the time of the Vietnam War, uh, where American youth protested to the point where it, it stopped the war. And this also illuminated the relationship between races because young people then began thinking this was a cool thing to do is to be together with someone of another race, uh, another um, persuasion. The search into religion escalated enormously, uh, meditation and religion. But the, the whole concept of being different than what was expected reigned. Uh, in 1969, my wife and I moved to a little town in Texas fully expecting to meet racial prejudice. Mm. I'll tell you a funny, little short funny story. Uh, this was the time where the movie Easy Rider had come, come out, about two motorcyclists, uh, Hofta. And it displayed 
prejudice and prejudicial response to the fact that these guys were, were bikers. So we were prepared for racial slurs and I don't know what. We arrived in Denton at night. We pulled into a, a, a motel to ask, I hopped out of the truck to ask if there was uh, a room. And when I came up to the receptionist, I looked at him. He looked rather stern, but I didn't think I had a, an afro. was well, a fro. My hair was really curly and puffed out and big. Uh, and I asked him, I said, do you have a, a vacancy, a room for my wife and I? And he looked at me and he says, colored or black and white in very stern terms, uh, in a tone that I, ooh, I, thought, I found threatening. I looked back out through the door at my wife and I decided I was, I was getting out of there. I was leaving. So I went out back to the, the truck and I said, Linda, I just experienced the weirdest thing. This guy asked me if we were black and white or colored. <laughs> and she said, I think he was asking about the television. <laughs> at, at that time, you could get a room, a more expensive room, if you wanted colored TV. And, but most average rooms had black and white televisions. I was so embarrassed that I drove away without getting a room there. It was... Uh, but it just gives you an, an intimation of the atmosphere, the fear. You didn't know what to do and what, who, who, what stance the person you were talking to had. Uh, you, you didn't dare say anything. And the way we were dressed, we were identified as, as hippies. Mm. And how about this uh, mon mindset about the, the youth in America? They had to say that to be different, it's cool and everything. And how did, how did that affect you? Uh, in the 60s, I mean, I already had that in me because I was, I've always been different. As a creative soul, as a musician, none of my classmates loved jazz or improvising or doing something differently every time. My motto was don't do anything the same hmm. twice. So everything I did, I tried to do it differently every time so I could learn. My classmates were much more traditional, conservative, towed the line, dressed like everybody else. I had always been quite unusual. So this, it wasn't a big change for me. Hmm. What was a big change was moving into that community. We were four white, I need to mention that I'm a member of the Baha'i Faith, and we moved there both to get an education in music as a composer and to establish a Baha'i community there. We were four whites. That was the whole community. Hmm. A team of young people came from Fort Worth, Dallas-Fort Worth area, to our little city, which was literally divided into, you know, the Jim Crow, equal but separate uh, concept that the blacks should have, or any minority for that matter, the Native Americans, the Mexican Americans, they should have equal facilities but separate from the whites. It's just, it's insane to think about it. But in this Denton, Texas, the city was literally cut in two by railroad tracks. On one side of the tracks were huge buildings, shopping centers, restaurants, universities, luxury parking spots, nice cars. On the other side was the black side of town. Poverty. Hmm. Uh, 
one color black. And this, this team from Fort Worth, Dallas, came up, and they taught the Baha'i faith in that community, in the black community. Within a month, there were over 100 who had declared their faith in, in, in Baha'u'llah, the founder of the Baha'i faith, and become Baha'is. And we were in that situation. We were four white Baha'is and over 100 black. What is remarkable about that is not the color difference, although that was obvious to everyone, but the cultural difference. Hmm. There we hit a wall. For the, First of all, it took me at least two months to understand what was being said because the, um, the dialect, dialect, even though they were speaking American, was so different than what I had ever heard. It was a challenge, even as a musician, for me to learn to understand what they were saying. They had the same problem understanding our culture. And gradually, we, we established children's classes. We became friends with them, and through patient, very patient, and tolerant, and long-suffering, because we came into contact with a community that was really, really loaded down with the effects of racism. They were oppressed. We experienced things that are so horrific, I, 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 the, the pen doesn't dare describe them. It was not easy being black at that time. How about the military? I mean, you were there in, in, in the 60s, right? And um, Vietnam War and everything. And, and did the military approach you? I mean, uh, did you had any military experience or, or what did you do? I was drafted into the military. I did not want to go. Hmm. I was, in fact, a conscientious cooperator, it's called. I would not bear a weapon. I was willing to serve, but I would not bear a weapon. Hmm. I would not kill anybody or be put in a situation where I'd have to shoot somebody. Hmm. Um, in the Army, I had a, a barracks mate, also Baha'i, by, by chance, a white guy who was married to a black woman. He was beaten up because he had a picture of his wife in his locker and opened it one day and somebody saw it. The word got around that he had a picture of a black woman in his locker and he got beaten up. It was like, this is in the military. We're supposed to be helping each other to survive uh, in a war situation. And yet that kind of prejudice overpowered the brotherhood, quote, unquote, of military partners. Uh, the, the army, for the most part, was heavily black, heavily African American. Um, there, was, there was a clear bias in recruiting or drafting people. How, how can it be that the draft brought in so many more African Americans when they represent such a little percent uh, of the population, hmm. and yet represent such a large percent in the military? But this is just another example of, of the institutional racism. We will move on to um, uh, when you moved to Greenland, Nook, mm-hmm. in 1978, and then we will talk a little bit about your experiences here. Tim Milne, you moved to Nook in 1978 with your wife, Linda. Yes. And then... What was your first experience when you moved here? Heaven. 
we had a long, long <laughs> uh, attempt at moving, at leaving the United States uh, to serve, to make the Baha'i faith available in another country. And that's the reason why we came to Greenland. We knew nothing about Greenland. Uh, through a long series of what I would say mystical events, we were led here. And when we stepped off the helicopter in Godhope, there was no airport at the time, we both separately knew we were home. We found home. We had moved many, many places in the United States, trying to find home, trying to find rest, uh, the place we belonged. When we stepped into the air at the, the heliport where the old KNR TV was located, we both knew intrinsically, without talking to one another, we were home. So our, even before that, we had flown from Iceland to Nassauswak, uh, where we were supposed to land. And we had enough money for both of us to stay overnight in the hotel there, but only enough that one of us could eat lunch the next day. We were rather concerned uh, about that aspect. But it turned out that we flew all the way to South Greenland to see our first icebergs from the air. I mean, tears rolled down our face. We were so romantically enamored with this process of, of moving to a new country and being of service and throwing in our lot with other people. Again, this is the other aspect. You know, at that time, I looked at it as the Greenlanders. The only piece of information I had received about Greenland was an old military black and white folder that showed a picture of a Greenlander. It was an East Greenlander with her face all masked up and a bone sticking in her cheek, in her in her mouth, pushing both cheeks <laughs> out. And she had a top knot of hair buns on her head, like three high. And it was the most bizarre thing I'd seen. <laughs> but in the States, I asked myself, okay, now it's serious. Are you willing to to accept these people? They eat, they sleep, they have children, they go to school, they die, they... They're the same as you. You have to get over how people look. And Americans are very concerned about how people look. And that's one of the problems with this black-white thing, or Mexican-American, or Chinese-American, or Indian, whatever. For some reason, it's a big issue with Americans, how you look. That comes first. Everything else is afterwards. So we had to return to Iceland because of fog. Oh, no. And we were put up in the most lovely hotel and attended a Baha'i meeting that night. And the next day flew and were welcomed by the helicopter and uh, flew into darker and darker. And this was at the, on the 27th of September. So as we flew north to Godhope, it got darker and darker and darker. And it was, whoa, it was only like 5 o'clock and it was dark. Mm. So we got, it, we, we felt it was serious. Mm. We had no money. We did have a return ticket, uh, but we were looking at a completely new adventure, hmm. new culture. We were confronted with our Americanness, our whiteness, hmm. our inbuilt sense of inherent superiority. All these issues had to be dug up and buried 
and new plants, fresh new plants uh, placed in seed and grown and watered over a long period of time mm. to the point where we, we don't see, of course we see racial difference, but we don't see ourselves as separate from the, the people we come in contact. We are one family. You mentioned in the in the United States in 50s till 70s, what uh, what kind of division you experienced and saw. When you moved here, you mentioned that you felt home, uh, for the, and but do, did you ever experienced racial prejudice when you moved here? I would yes, I have. Uh, I, I, I'm loath to mention an any incident, any specific incident, because I don't think it helps. Uh, what we're trying to do, we're all created from the same dust. And if we remember that, there's no reason to lift yourself up over other people. And I feel like mentioning specific examples of the prejudice that I've experienced or that I've seen only is destructive. It takes away from unity. Unity is what we're after. It's not the elimination of prejudice. If we approach unity and establish unity in ourselves, in other words, when I say unity, I'm talking about a very deep-seated love and friendship, one for another, even a stranger, that engenders this attribute that we can, pre uh, we can present, we can reflect, let's put it that way, of unity. Mm. And in that... Prejudice has no existence. It doesn't exist. It's the absence of unity. So in our efforts to integrate in this community, of course there were problems of all sorts, of mostly cultural. An American culture clashing with a Greenlandic culture, with a Danish culture, has to give off sparks. It's like the clash of two stones. There's two different hardened traditions that need to be softened and understanding needs to be developed. And I have literally found the definition of family, of love, of unity here in Greenland. Hard won because it's taken extreme effort on both parts, those I've been around and myself, changing myself and giving others the time to change so that we could approach a unified state where we love each other, we're family. Mm. And that sense of family now in my life is extended far beyond my wife and our, and our son. It includes everyone in Greenland. I, I've traveled all over Greenland as a pianist with uh, Josef Lund Josefsson and have established f family ties all over Greenland because I under, I have a deeper understanding, I don't understand, I have a deeper understanding of my relationship to you, to you, to the next person, even if I've never met someone, I know their family. And I'm able to treat them as family, I think. Hmm. I don't know if others think the same thing. But. What, what kind of effort takes to you to get that um, position where you can say everybody's family and this is the world needs right now since we can see how the uh, uh, the protests happening right now in the states and then all around the world like enkindling this fire of like enough is enough yeah. like what 
does it take to learn to be united? It's back. I'm oh, sorry. No. It's back to what I was saying in the beginning that this problem is at a moral, ethical, and intellectual level in the individual. It requires change in the individual. It is systemic in that institutions are built up with white privilege, with this hierarchical based on race. There's nothing wrong with hierarchy. We want the best people. We want the best doctors. We don't want some idiot that doesn't know what he's doing, doing brain surgery. <laughs> we like a hierarchy where at the top there are people who are rewarded and praised and encouraged for doing a great job. So at the institutional level, changes have to be made. And unfortunately, history has shown that that requires great catastrophe, either man-made or natural, to wake people up to the necessity. We've had enough. This we're not going to put up with. And it's everybody. We see that starting. I hope it, it grows in a... In a in a productive way, so the end result, the fruit, is the elimination, the establishment of unity. I almost said the elimination of prejudice. I don't think that's the goal. I think the goal is unity. And then there's at a spiritual level, and that addresses your question, I think, because each one of us has to dig down and understand, truly understand, we are created from the same dust. We are not separate privileged individuals. We should not ever compare ourselves one to another. We should, com we should compare ourselves to the potential, in my belief system, that God has given us. Our own potential is great. Every individual's potential is great. But it's not how great I am in relationship to someone else. Because almost everyone chooses someone who is less fortunate which gives the illusion that I'm better than that person. And that special treatment one gives to oneself is prejudice. Mm. Very damaging. Yeah. I think, we got it. I think we got it all, Jim. Thank you so much for taking your time to talk about the United States in 50s, 60s, and 70s and how and what you experienced in Greenland Nook and then around the coast since you have traveled a lot. And then thank you for um giving us any uh, an example what individual can do to create unity uh, basically here and around the world mm. thank you so much it's been a great time. pleasure to be with both of you thank you I'm going to go to the hospital. I'm going to go to the hospital. I'm going to go to Sakotopun, 
Ja, det er så brændt, hva? Det er når det er noget på nummer, når det er så er det med mig, der er lidt kult, så er det rettet, når man er med mig, kan man jo den anden missing i sin bar. Gisene, siger du, når du er rettet i mig, kult, der er så jeg tænker, når du i mig går til den anden, og gisene, at der er så jeg synes, at man er med Okay,